Let's turn our Bibles to Proverbs chapter number 24. Proverbs chapter number 24 and verse number uh, 16. Proverbs 24 and verse number 16. Proverbs 24 and verse number 16. I started the message a couple weeks ago and I want to finish it uh, so that we don't have it so far in between. It'll get confusing sometimes. So Proverbs chapter number 24 and verse number 15. It is our uh, stewardship month and so uh, join us. Some of the messages are geared to stewardship and so we're excited about that. This one is uh, about correction. All right, Proverbs 24 and verse number 16. Uh, last week, we had uh, all the missionaries preach to us, uh, and so it was exciting, great things. And I think one of the missionaries hit on one of the verses I'm going to read to you later in Hebrews. He talked about correction. And so uh, Proverbs 24 and verse number 16, and if you're able to stand one more time, let's do that. And to honor the word of God, we'll read the first number 16 only, and we'll pray, and we'll continue our service tonight. It says here in Proverbs 24, and verse number 16, For a just man falleth seven times, but riseth up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. Let us pray. Lord, we come. Help us now as we continue a message, Lord, that you have... Uh, put in my heart a couple weeks ago. Lord, I pray as we wrap it up tonight, part two of it, Lord, I pray that we would have a understanding of correction as a good thing, as something that we actually want, and as something that we desire, in fact. Lord, I pray that we would not look at it as something to be disdained and to be avoided. Lord, I pray that you'd help all of us always to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost that guides us into all truth. And in guiding us into truth, Lord, we are going to be shown error. And Lord, in those things, Lord, I pray that we would have humility and meekness and help us to let correction do its work. And so that we can be, as you said in your word, you strive us to be perfect men and women in the sense of mature. You want us to be mature Christians. That's your goal for us to grow into maturity and responsibility so that we can be a blessing, not only to you, not only can we put a smile on your face, but at the same time, we could be a help to our brother and sisters and our brethren and our fellow men on earth. And at the same time, as we do those things, we find that we end up having so much joy when we know we have put a smile on your face and we have put a smile on others. It comes back to us, and then we end up with joy. And Lord, help us today. Help me tonight. Help my mind. Help to have clarity. Help my words. Help my enunciation, pronunciation. Help me tonight that I would say what I need to say, and it may be understood in a simple, clear way. Lord, again, Holy Ghost, you're the teacher. Use me as a mere instrument. Lord, bless again all that are here. Bless our friend, Brother Jerry Fish. Lord, thank you for what he's doing Lord, help him as he continues uh, the work of God you've called him to. And his wife, I pray that she would be healed soon. And Lord, help him to travel back where they serve you to, on Tuesday. Keep him safe, Lord. Thank you for making his acquaintance. And Lord, I pray uh, that you would give him a wonderful, wonderful time in this area. Lord, bless us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. And so we see that a just man in Scripture refers to Christians refers to people that have a belief and have acknowledged that Jesus Christ, God, is their Lord. And so they looked at Jesus as their Savior, first of all. And now is walking with Jesus and is a believer of the truth of this word of God. And a lot of times, if you're a Christian, you after salvation, you jump right into what the Bible teaches called sanctification. And so now God has justified us made us clean, and now we have entrance into the presence of God, and in the presence of God, then God helps us assimilate and become just like him. He wants us to be a just like Jesus Christ. We are to be conformed 
to the image of his dear son. And so in doing that, there is this principle of correction. Correction must be. Why? Because of sin. And we read the verse. Even a just man, even a righteous man, we think of Lot, he was called a righteous man. And yet he struggled with day in and day out life where he lived. He shouldn't have never pitched his tent towards Sodom, let alone lived in Sodom. But yet, see, living in a wicked world has an effect on you. And so the Bible teaches another uh, important, clear principle, and that's separation. I'm not preaching that on tonight. But there's another uh, important principle we must all adhere to and know and practice separation properly. All right? Uh, separation in the, in the biblical light, what the Bible teaches. So thinking about co- uh, correction here, we see that even as Christians, even uh, being saved, and it doesn't mean uh, just recently, but even in a long period of time, in the sense of you've been saved for a while. If you've been saved for a while, you find yourself battling sin. And so the Bible clearly gives us here a thought that even a just man, if he falls, and he falls many times here, we can rise up again, and we don't have, uh, uh, like some that don't have the Lord, they don't have hope, and they fall in complete destruction. But praise the Lord for that. Look at another verse here. We looked at last time in the way of introduction again, and kind of getting us back to the latter part of this message, Ecclesiastes, if you want to turn there, Ecclesiastes chapter number 7 and verse number 20, you find the word just again. And here we see, for there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good, and it sinneth not. Men uh, are just men at best. We're men. We fall. We are uh, weak, and we are tempted at times Uh, beyond our own ability, and we fall into sin. And so that's part of just being human, all right? And so as a Christian, God will deliver us from that. And as a Christian, we have uh, some resources now. We have the Holy Ghost. We have the Holy Ghost that we don't have to worry about that. And he teaches us the Word of God that gives us foundation where the Bible says in one place, if you add these things to your faith, you'll never fall, all right? So there's promises of those things. Uh, but living the real Christian life. Who's living the real Christian life? Who are you here living the real Christian life, right? All of you should be raising your hand. If you're living the real Christian life, all of us should be raising our hand. All right? That's not a trick question, guarantee you. I'm not out to get anybody tonight, all right? Guys, (laughs) you guys have been in church a long time. I ain't raising my hand for nothing. Yeah, in trouble. <laughs> but if you're, re- if you're living a real Christian life, what I'm getting to is this. And you would have to admit at times you don't do the best. You do wrong. You have wrong thoughts at times. Sometimes you find yourself with having wrong motives. And sometimes you find yourself have to fight uh, bitterness or you have to fight... Uh, uh, this feeling of I deserve and I didn't get what I deserve. You know, I did something right and I didn't, I didn't get the, the praise. There's some things that we still have to battle uh, in our life. And if you're living the real Christian life, you'll find that uh, if you're honest, uh, there's some areas you're not doing good at. Even as I speak, you're not doing good in some of those areas. Praise the Lord that God understands those things. And he comes along with his correction to help us. Uh, in our Christian life, uh, we need a lot of course correction, adjustments. Uh, let us learn to be sensitive and to be open to God's uh, chastening hand. Uh, part of letting God be God in our lives is letting him correct us when we need it. There is a permeating, very, very bad spirit in our country, when it regards to authority. Can I park here? I'm going to park here just for a second. There's a bad, bad spirit when it comes to authority, any kind, any form. And as a Christian, you know who started authority, right? 
You know who came up with the whole idea that there are some men that are in authority over other men. Do you know who started that? That's your God. That's your God that saved you. He's the one that came up with the whole idea. And in our deceitfulness of sin and the world and the devil, it paints a picture that authority are your enemy. I have to be careful about to say to this. There is no perfect human authority. I just read you verses that tell you that. But there is no perfect human subordinates. You're not perfect yourself. And don't ever think in your mind that if you were in the place of the authority, you'll do better than some of us. Ain't no way. You know why? Because you're human just like me. And at times, you're going to fail. At times, I don't want to do due diligence of work. At times, that's too much work. Too much work. Let's get the easy way. Let's, some, let's, some, let's relax a little bit. And God says, no, 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 no. No, you have to do it heartily as under the Lord. You have to do your best. And his word and his Holy Ghost corrects me. and says, you have to do it this way. You know, let just the kids do whatever they want. Uh, let them just do whatever they want. I'm tired of course correcting. I'm not a GPS. I think they're designed to course correct all the time. I don't have the effort. I don't have the time. I get tired. And a lot of times, you know, uh, authority, uh, we get guilty of being tired to be diligent and consistent. Parents, you get tired of being diligent and consistent, all right? And, and that's what it takes for them to learn that you mean business. So, like, if you tell them, when you get up in the morning, you need to make your bed. That's the rule of the house. Guess what's going to happen, guys? It's not going to be automatic. That morning, when they wake up, guess what you have to do? Part of your, your duty as a parent, you go up to their room. If that's your rule in your house, it's up to you. You have to see if they made the bed. For there's no reason for the rule you made if there is no consequence for the rules you made. And the Bible gives us uh, that idea of authority, and they're there to do what? Praise those that do well and punish those that do evil. Very, very, very simple principle of authority in Romans 13. And so you have to go and say, all right, you need to make the bed. And you instruct them on how to do it. You show them how you want it as a parent. And we're given some preferences. All right? We're given some preferences as long as we don't abuse the authority God has given us. Somebody decided to get a blue carpet here. Where is that in scripture? Is that in Exodus? Somebody decided that's the color of the walls of this church. Somebody decided that's the curtain that we want to pick. That's a preference of the authority. You're going to have a problem with that? You shouldn't have a problem with that. You can make suggestions, but you shouldn't have a problem with that. I don't go to your home. You own your home, right? That's your house. You're the authority of that house. You want me to go to your house and tell you, you know what? I don't like your curtains. If I was you, I would do it this way. Oh, man, is that the food you guys eat here? I don't like how you cook that chicken. Can you do it this way? That would be culturally rude. You'll never invite me again. In fact, you would drop me as a friend on Facebook. You would not want me. Right? That doesn't change because we go to the church house. So guess what? I, as a leader, I have to make some choices whether you like it or not. I have to make some choices of preferences. I'm going to have a mic the way I want a mic. I'm going to have a lapel the way I want a lapel. I'm going to get a piano the way I want a piano. Is that okay? Right? And as friends, we make suggestions. If you get close to people, you can help them, and they will want your suggestion. You see these ladies, if they're friends, they'll ask the lady friends, hey, how did my hair look? Men, if you're not part of that conversation, you do not say a word. You let them decide that. There's a privilege in that. They have shown some respect with one another. They can say those things. And if that lady asks... She's willing to receive it, right? Don't ask if you're not willing to receive it. 
<laughs> I'm afraid sometimes, right? So a lot of us are afraid when somebody says, no, 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 really tell me what you really think. And I'm like, is this a trick question? Let the Holy Spirit guide you and how you respond to that. But, you know, a uh, true friend, uh, you'll be a little bit more uh, given to listen to what they have to say. And so you'll ask them, how does this tie look on me? And you respect them. They have earned your respect and you've earned theirs. And in mutual respect, they're going to tell you, that probably doesn't look good on that outfit. And you're not going to be offended. Why? Because they're your friend. All right? And that's how you do that. That's how we don't uh, cross the line with one another as a community. Just because they go to this church and you go to this church, it doesn't give you the right to tell them how to live their life. I hope everybody knows that, right? Even as a pastor, I, I have no right when it comes to your home. That's out of bounds. That's an out of bounds for me. All right? I can't tell you uh, what to do at your home. I can show you what God says, and then you have to go with God says and his leading of his Holy Ghost and look at the Bible principles and then make some choices for your family. I can't do that for you. Individually, I can't do that for you. We believe in soul liberty. You have to stand before God in what you believe. Nobody forced you to go to a particular church. You're coming to this church, I hope, because you believe this is what God wants you to be. And you're a member of this church because this is what God wants you to be a member of. All right? That's how we do it. Because God's going to ask you all of those. Uh, why did you go to that church? Why did you participate in that activity? Why did you do this? And he's going to judge us by this book. He's going to open up the book and says, this is what I said. What did you do? And so uh, we don't want to stand before God and be corrected at that day. Correct? So let's make correction a friend today, now. Man, if God shows me something in his word, I hope that I exercise enough humility that I'm going to say, I'm not going to wait until heaven. You said that in your word, it's corrected my life because I didn't see it before. I was ignorant to it, or maybe I was stubborn, or maybe I wasn't ready for that part of it yet. But now I've seen it, I'm going to obey it now. I'm not going to wait until I get to heaven. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to have correction and me have a wonderful, wonderful relationship. I'm going to let correction do the work that it needs in my life. We talked about mindsets that are permeated in our world and we see it today. And they're the ones that does not help us. So catch these mindsets in your mind if they slip in. And one of them is this. Uh, calling evil good and good evil, right? That's permeated in the world. They define evil a certain way that God says is good, and they tell us that there's things that are evil that are actually good. You know, masculinity is evil according to the world today. God says masculinity and being a man is biblical. What are you going to do about it? Oh, and I know the devil is mighty good to blur the line and you have to separate it by God's principle in this book. You can't be listening to, to the people of the world only or listening to a bunch of Christians. You have to get the word of God. And then finally, finally find the divide, all right, and say, all right, there is some masculinity that is called masculinity that is wrong. And God talks about those things. And you need to find the truth in that. The devil is mighty fine to confuse us. He's the author of confusion. And so be careful with that. Another thing that uh, uh, is a deterrent or is a problem with this idea of having a wonderful, sweet relationship with correction is this another spirit. Doing right in your own eyes. Making yourself God. That's really the basic form of that. You make yourself the authority on everything. Or to me... It's not a problem. Well, who are you to say that and operate that way? But many people live that way. They simply live by how they feel. They live by feelings. And they operate life by feelings. 
If I feel like going to work, I will. I feel like I don't, I don't need to. I feel like I'm a woman today, I'll go to the woman's bathroom. If I feel like I'm a man today, then I'll be a man. Where is that in Scripture? How's that line up with Scripture? That's one thing that people do today. Another thing that is deterrent to this wonderful uh, idea of correction that God gives us is that we love darkness rather than we love light. You have to admit this. That's why God came to save us. Because innate in us is wickedness. Mark 7 says, from within the heart proceed evil thoughts. And then list a bunch of sin from the heart of man. It's in us. That's why Christ came in us to clean us from the inside out. Religion tries to clean the outside and hopefully gets into the inside. But Christianity, as in truest form, came from the inside and it's going to permeate and be revealed on the outside. The transformation happens. Not a confirmation, but a transformation from within. It becomes a new creature. That's what the Bible tells us. So now uh, we talked about the word reproof. And that means chastening or uh, correction. bunch of verses in Proverbs I gave last time. I don't have time to read that. And now we go on to the last section of this message and we'll be done tonight. So what does God use in this idea of correction? What does he use in our life? Well, there's many things he uses, but I narrowed it to three things. All right? God uses these three things. Number one is his word. He uses his word. Look at 2 Timothy, if you want to, 2 Timothy, chapter number 3, and verse number 16. 2 Timothy, chapter number 3, and verse number 16. All scripture, some of it, the one I like, the one I don't like, I pick and choose. All scripture, And we believe it's the King James in the English translation. And we believe it to be Genesis all the way to Revelation. All right? 39 books in the old, 27 in the new. And we find it, it says here, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed it. All right? Inspired. And is profitable. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. Correction is for your good. It's for your best. It's for your best. We're going to read a verse later that tells you it doesn't feel like that. And so I understand sometimes being corrected doesn't feel like it's for our best. But it is. And look at what it says here. Uh, in uh, 2 Timothy, as we continue here in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. And what is reproof? I defined it last week. Let me give you the definition simply today. It means to what? Chastisement or correction. Usually bringing a light verbal, uh, verbally an offense, uh, bringing to light verbally an offense or wrongdoing. So if you see something being done wrong, you lightly or you kindly, with respect, you say something, something about the wrong that's being done to be corrected. Now, the other word you find here, and we don't have time for that, is another form of correction, but it's a little harsher. Yes, harsher. And look at that word. And the word is what? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, it's another part uh, in Proverbs. It means rebuke. Rebuke is a harsher tone. It's a little bit more passionate correction. Uh, Look at what it says here. For reproof and for correction, For instruction in righteousness. So the word of God is used by God in correcting us as just man. Because just man fall at seven times, but we have hope we can rise up again from our failures. We don't have to remain defeated. We have hope in God that he can help us and give us grace and ability to accomplish what he wants us to do. And then, look at it says here, another thing that God uses, number two. It's his Holy Ghost. His Holy Ghost. Look at John 14. If you want to learn about the Holy Ghost, you can read John chapter number 14 all the way to John chapter number 16. It will give you a lot of clarity to start with about the Holy Ghost. But in John chapter number 14, John chapter number 14 and verse number 26, John 14 and 26, 
But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And so you have a perfect word of God with a perfect Holy Ghost to guide you. And there's a lot more hope in that than trying to live this life simply by your own merits and your own wisdom. You have the perfect Holy Ghost that will you guide you into all truth. And then look at John chapter number 16. John chapter number 16, two chapters over. And verse number 13, John chapter number 16 and verse number 13. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. And that's the beauty of the Holy Ghost living inside of us. When God says, I'm near every one of us, he is truly inside of us. And we can truly know the mind of Christ. There is no excuse, Christian, for us not to know what God thinks on anything because he gave us a perfect book with a perfect Holy Ghost. And that, and that, <laughs> and the availability of the Bible is, is so, so easy for us. I have five, ten of these. I have a bunch of Bible. I have the ability and I have that resource. It's accessible to me. And the Holy Ghost lives inside of me. You don't have to go anywhere. He's right inside of you. And in this life, he will guide you into all truth. You want it? You want truth? He will give it to you. You're trying to, you're trying to start up a family. You can find answers here. You are in a family. God will give you answers. You're in a relationship with a wife. God will give you. You're with a husband. God will. You're a widow. God. You're a senior citizen. God. If you're a young child. God. God. God is the answer. And if you can't find it here. And you can't be taught by the Holy Ghost. I don't know where you're going to get it. I don't know where you're going to get it. And you know what stops you? From being corrected. You know who stops you. From being corrected. No one else. But you. You are the reason. Why you can be corrected or not corrected. You are in control of that. You don't know that. Correction is given to you. And you have to receive it. It's like a gift. And it's going to be given to you. And you're going to choose to take it. Or refuse it. It's up to you. And I suggest if it's a God-given correction, God is using men probably in your life to correct you, I would pay attention. And I would be meek and humble and with great humility, accept it. Accept it. Learn that correction is for your good. All right? Lastly, so we find his word is used in correcting us. That's probably not unusual. That's probably not a truth we don't know. That's probably something we already know. The Holy Ghost is not new. It's probably we heard a million times. He knows that he's the one that teaches us all things. And this is not new, what I'm about to give you. But this is a hard one. Probably the hardest of all them all. And he's going to use others. What I mean by others. Other people. To correct you. He will. And that's when, we have, well, that's when we draw the line. Well, I don't have a problem God corrected me. I don't have a problem the Holy Ghost. I don't have the problem the Word of God. He ain't doing nothing. No. No, no, no. And that person is, has got nothing to do with this. And God puts him in your life to teach you because you have a problem with something. Don't ask for patience. He's going to be you difficult people. Who has prayed for patience? Who has difficult people in their life? Oh, good job, everybody. You've done it. Great. God's going to teach us all patience. <laughs> That's how it works. 
God knew that. God placed us here together as a body to fitly join us together, to have us accomplish something we would never accomplish by ourselves. We would never accomplish it by ourselves. But he'll put us together and he'll use other people uh, to rub some of your rough edges. And man, right, we can accept the word of God. Oh, I, I can't argue God. I can't argue the Holy Ghost. But man, why him? Why is he here? Why does he even go to this church? They have a bunch of churches everywhere. Why does he have to go here? And I'm guaranteeing you those people are being used right now in your life. God is course correcting you. And God's saying this in heaven. Son, you need a little bit more mercy. <laughs> oh, man. Is that how I'm going to learn that? Okay. God's just saying, son, you need to be a little bit more mild temper. You need to control your temper. That's why he gives you brothers. He gives you sisters. He's going to let you learn these things through that. Who would have a problem with, uh, with loving people if you're by yourself somewhere? Would you have a problem with dealing with people if you're by yourself? Well, God knows that. That's why he says, I'm going to stick somebody in there. I, have, I've loved, uh, I know some people in Alaska, and they went up to Alaska, and we went soul winning. Because I uh, went up there and visited to, to raise some support. And we would knock on doors. And the people that, uh, you know, I'm a missionary. And, you know, you know what it's like. I'm a missionary trying to raise support. So I have to do, I have to do everything. So I'm going to present like I'm a superhero. And, uh, and, and the preacher is going, uh, uh, we're not going to knock on that door. I'm like, why not? I'm going to knock on that door. And before I say anything, I'm knocking on the door. And the pastor goes, why did you do that? Well, we need to witness the people. They need the Lord Jesus Christ. You're too scared to witness his people. These people are probably loving people. You guys never knock on their door. You're being smart, Alec. Guy come out with a shotgun. So he got 10 seconds to get out of my yard. And didn't say any other word but said 10, 9. And I was like, well, I'm moving. And he followed me until I cleared the driveway, and he followed me. Don't ever come back here. I'm like, whoa. Man. I stand corrected. Right? And so uh, sometimes God puts you in places and uh, puts you with people, and he's going to use them to correct you. Look at Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. Learn to enjoy correction. You have to learn that. It's not natural. I don't like it, but I, I learn it's easier if I just simply receive it. Just take it. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. What? So that if you need anything, they're there to help you with any need you have. They're there if you're sad. And you just want a shoulder to cry on. And I'm there for that. I don't mind any of those things I'm saying. I'm being smart aleck with you. But there's a reason why we're here. Some of these people in authority. Why? Why are we here? What is our part and our responsibility in the church house? Verse number 12. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. We're part of his will for us as pastors and teachers and all of these different people is so that we can help you have a better resurrection. We want you to be better. We want to help you in correcting the things that need to be corrected. And we're part of that wonderful, wonderful, wonderful plan of God of correction. We're part of it. We're one of the peoples that God uses. You know, children, if you have a mom and dad, and uh, part of their job is correction. We have to correct because we love you. And we'll see verses here in Hebrews in a little bit 
And that is the job. God places human authorities in our lives for our good. For our good. It's not to destroy uh, any kind of liberties we have. It is to help us enjoy and remain being free. Because really the bondage is sin. Sin is the bondage that keeps you uh, away from perfect liberty. And the, the devil and sin lies to you and says, no, them goody tissue people, them preachers, them holy than thou people, they're the ones that are keeping you from really living it. No, we're not. No, I've never done that. You are free to choose whatever you want to do. But Ecclesiastes is clear. It says, young man, you can choose whatever you want. But at the end of it, you will be accountable to the God that made you. Lost and saved are accountable to the God that made you. And so, my friends, I'm just being a help to you. I'm giving you the truth of the word of God. And I'm trying to help you. Because I experience correction. I experience it. And you should, too. And you should love it. You should learn to enjoy it. Look at another verse. Hebrews 13 and verse number 17. Obey then that had the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. That sounds like a benefit and a benefit to you. As they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Unprofitable for you. The world has lied to you and said, oh, they're going to tell us what we're doing wrong again. I don't want to hear it no more. And then the, the, the lie will come and say, they just don't like you. They're just out to get you. They just have something against you. No, in fact, to be honest, if somebody comes out to you with genuine heart and says and warns you and tells you, I've seen that this is something you're doing, but I'm going to just be kind and tell you from the scripture, man, that's the wrong thing, my sister. That's the wrong thing, my brother. Your response should be, first of all, thank you, Lord, for not letting me be by myself. You brought somebody along the way. And in your love for me, you're using these people. I would say, thank you, Lord. You know, David... Always had somebody came and told them. There was always a preacher that showed up. Nathan showed up. Nathan told them, you are the man. And he broke and wept and wrote one of the best psalms you have ever read in scripture. A true repentant heart. I love David for one thing. When correction came, he was good to accept it. He was the best at it. He was the best at being corrected. I've never seen David throw a fit and said, What? Do you know who I am? He never threw a fit. You know how much money David saved for something he always wanted to do but never was allowed to do? In fact, to my knowledge, I feel Solomon didn't have to raise so much money to build the temple. David, out of his personal retirement plan, his personal retirement plan, took out of his own money. It says it in the Bible. He saved and hoarded all of these money to build the house of God. He was never allowed to build it because his hand, the Bible says, was with blood. He was a man of war. And God says, you can't build the house, but I'll let your son build it for you. And he gave so much money towards that. But that man, man, if you want to learn anything, that man God used. Was he perfect? I'll definitely keep my wife away from him. I had a problem with that. Right? But he, when he was corrected, received it so amazingly. God corrects us because he loves us. He's looking out for our best. Corrections make us better. Look at Hebrews 12, 4 to 11. Now I know men abuse their power. And mind you, don't listen to a dictator. Don't listen to somebody out to get you. You can tell right away if a man is manipulating to get something out of you. All right? Because they're going to make the job easier for them a lot of times. Selfish men and women that lead other people. 
they do it with ill intent. And what they do is they make sure you do all the work. They don't have to do anything. That's wrong. That's wrong. Don't follow people like that. But God did warn us, though, that even the forward, if you have bosses that are forward or gentle, it doesn't matter. Your job, if you are subordinate, is to show them that uh, you honor the truth of the word of God. Just like if somebody's being mean to you, the response is not to be mean back. Don't, don't, don't reward evil with evil. Contrarywise, give them a blessing. But if you are in leadership, man, you strive as a parent. I'm only making rules, not so that I could uh, be the authority. I'm making rules because it makes sense. I'm making rules because this will protect our flock. I'm making rules because I know if I don't, the wolves will come. There's some danger out there that will come and snatch you. And so I say, you can't be doing this. You can't be chatting with these people. You can't be friends with these people. Because if you don't, they're going to take you away from us. And we love you too much for you to go away. We can't lose anymore. We can't lose one. One more. We cannot. We're praying in for people to come back. We're people to come back. Reconcile. Come back. Come back, prodigals. Come. You're welcome here. We don't want to lose anymore. The devil has done enough to destroy and and hurt people. Look at last, and we're done tonight, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 4, all the way to verse 11. I'm going to read it uh, in a good amount of time here. Just just point out a few things. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. That's the enemy. Man, let's get all passionate about fighting sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. The exhortation is encouragement. What I'm trying to encourage you is this. Correction is a, is a gift from a loving God to the people he loves. And we don't deserve it. But he loves us and he wants to give it to us. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, look at the endearing terms. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. We even talk about rebuke someday. We're not even talked about rebuke. But it says, nor faint when thou art rebuked. When you face correction, is your attitude says, fine, I'm not doing nothing anymore then. What? What in the world can a Christian have that spirit in them? What in the world? We are so far from scripture. Look what it says. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaks. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint. Faint means to quit. Stop. Don't do anything. Give up. Nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom, you have to believe this one, from whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Because my God is a responsible God. I love that. That's one attribute we don't talk about enough. But my love is a responsible God. You know anything he says here? And if you meet the qualification of what he tells us, you know what he does? He does his best to fulfill his promise. All the time in this book, he's amazing, responsible God. He's trustworthy. I can trust him, not just with my salvation, but with my life. I can trust him so much, I can trust him with my marriage. I can trust him so much, I can trust him with the raising of my children. I can trust him so much, I can let my children be dedicated to him and let him dictate to my children what they should and should not do. That's how I trust my God. He is so trustworthy. You looking for somebody to trust today in all areas? <laughs> you have to go far. It is God. He's so trustworthy. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son in whom he received. Are you glad that you're accepted? You've been accepted in the beloved? Who's been accepted in the beloved? Those that are saved. And so you belong to God. 
And his loving arms will say to you, son, you can't go there. Come here. I told you not to go there. Come here. Because if you go there, you're going to get hurt. Don't forget the devil. And so that's my God. Wow. What love. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son in whom he received. Verse 7. If you endure chastening, if you endure, and it's an endurance, you have to endure it. All right? If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof are ye partakers? Then ye are bastards and not sons. And we know that culturally, I have no right to be going to your children and correcting them. That's not my place. I'm not the daddy. Now, if in this, this church, I can make some rules. Because they're going to this church. Some of you have kids, and they come to this church. And I have kids. I understand your pain. And so I'll say, hey, let's not go into the kitchen. Is that uh, unreasonable of me? No. I can make that rule. Don't go into the kitchen unless an adult is with you and supervising you. Because there are some things in the kitchen that are dangerous. Especially that new stainless steel with a pull letter action and that will drop chemical all over us. So don't go into the kitchen. Can I say that? I can say that. I'm not out of bounds. But I'm not going to tell you parents what your kids and kids should not watch. That's up to you. I'm going to tell you what I would do in my home, and I can share that from the pulpit. But you have to choose that. That's your responsibility. And that's what God is saying. God's not going to correct somebody he doesn't have for a son. But if you are my son, because I love you, I'll correct you. That's a promise to us, his children. Verse 8, verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Verse 10. For they verily, for a few days. There's my problem, because I don't have consistency. I just don't want to do the hard work. For they barely for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure. Okay, be careful now. But he, another word again, for our prophet. How many times did we see this word? Three, at least three times in the scripture I read to you. For our prophet, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Verse 11. Now, no chastening. Thank you, Lord, for clarifying this. <laughs> I love this verse because I tell God, God, remember verse 11 in Hebrews 12? That's where I am right now. I'm feeling that right now. <laughs> now, no chastening for the present time seeming to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So Christians, can I say this? Correction is a gift from a loving God to you. And so when he gives it to you, please do not despise it. Please do not rebel against it. Please don't be stubborn. Please don't be stiff-necked. Please don't be a smart aleck. Please take it. Take it. There's a reason it's for your good. It's for your good. Is for your profit. Let us humbly look at correction like God does. We are prone to error and we need his loving correction because it is for our betterment. Here's a quote uh, that somebody said. Keep your heart open to the correction of the Lord and be ready to receive his chastisement regardless of who holds the whip. Because at times... He will use other people, other authorities in your life, and even a brother. Iron, sharpen it, iron. So a man, sharpen it, the countenance of his friend. If you have any good friends here in this room, they may be younger than you, but they're a good friend to you. They know the word of God. You know that when they say something to you out of love, it doesn't feel, oh, man, But you know, later, 
Oh, you know what? They were right. They were right on. And I'm glad they told me because that means they love me. How are you doing with correction, Christian? Because God uses it. And it's not going away. Not until we get to heaven. Now all of us says, let's get to heaven. But until we get there and we live on this earth as a just man and women, we're going to have correction. Somebody somewhere is going to tell you you've done wrong. And you're going to have to receive it. And I, I tell you, just receive it. You know, sometimes I do this. If it's not going to really destroy my reputation in the sense of that it's not going to really mess up my influence in helping other people. You know, if somebody's going to say that I'm, uh, I'm uh, you know, I have to be careful with those kids here. If they say something that is not right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, no, I'm not that according to scripture. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, there's some petty things, you know, that what I'm trying to say is if, if they see something in you and they didn't judge it properly, but there's enough truth that they really saw, because they, they, they have no idea to see all of us. Even as a preacher, I, I can't really judge you properly. There's no way. You're, I can't see your heart. God only sees that. But at times you'll come to me and, uh, and I see a situation you brought before me and all the information I have at the time and all the knowledge of that situation I have at that moment, I'm going to say something because you asked for, for my advice and I'm going to give it to you, right? And you have to understand that that's, that's at best uh, somebody's just trying to love you. But I can't see the whole picture. When I give it to you, Take the things that you know is true. Because there's some things in there probably not true. Because I didn't see the picture clearly enough. But there's going to be some things that are true. And be acceptable to those things. Don't be sensitive when correction comes. Man, don't have an attitude that I don't need anything. I don't need to be corrected. What do you mind? Leave me alone. And how are you going to grow? How are you going to be better? Lord bless us. Help us with this idea of correction. Help us to love it and help us to see it as a gift from a loving father. In Jesus' name we ask it.